enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. Well, that's Tim. Well, that's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together, we talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from your well-known classic down to that rare gem that tastes like corn at the back (laughs) of your video store shelf. This week, Tim and I are going out west. We're rustling up a good film (laughs) from 2015. It's Bone Tomahawk. Tim, this one doesn't count because I wouldn't say this is your number one thing, but what is a thing that you just scream at people to watch and they refuse to do it? That is not this movie. Right. Okay. Um, Like with the big one. Because, yes, this is a movie that you tout and no one has seen. Yes. But I wouldn't say this is the thing you clamor the most about. Maybe well, it is. I don't. I can't well, give a list of things that you are like. Well, I can. I know one. I know what I would pick. Okay. You would say, but you go ahead and answer. Well, I mean, if we're not talking about things that that people, I know people have seen. Like I would, I would clamor for somebody to see like Evil Dead Two or Clockwork Orange or Slumber yeah, Party. Yeah, no, Ma- this yeah. is no one has seen it, and you're just like, God damn it! I have a gem, and no one will participate. Probably, probably the TV show Kingdom with Frank Grillo. You know who Frank Grillo is? I do know who Frank Grillo yeah. is. Um, he does uh, an MMA TV series that is just phenomenally acted. Like, I mean, there's like six powerhouses. Also, Frank Grillo's not in it that much. Uh, well, <laughs> he's great. He's wonderful. No, he is. I have no issue. My no. wife actually loves a Frank Grillo. So. Yes. And yeah, and that guy just refuses to age. Um, but no, uh Kingdom uh I think it had maybe maybe three seasons, um, but just superbly acted um and hyper realistic with the MMA life. Um so yeah, I'm always telling people about that, but I don't know. It's yeah, hard you to tell t- me to watch it. I didn't because someone was in it. Who was in it? Um, that, that you didn't like? Well, well, no, that that was your hook. You were like, oh, you like this guy? He's in this show. Oh, well, um, that guy that is in, uh, he played Richard Jewell in. Oh, that, yes. Yeah, that guy. Uh, yeah, I can't think of his name. No, but Damn he's it. awesome. I mean, he is awesome in it. So I good. Like that guy. Um, is so what was the thing that you would think that I would say? Did you had one in mind? Uh, a Serbian film. Oh, a Serbian film. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I yeah, and I it's funny. I was actually going to mention a Serbian film in this episode, but um yes, I I recommend that one, but Paul Walter Hauser is the guy we were trying to think of That's before. it. He right. is fantastic. Also works. in Cobra Kai. Um plays really? Stingray in oh, Cobra Kai. Very he's also funny. in I think you should leave. Which is an excellent. Is he really? Yeah, he's got an awesome sketch where he <laughs> he's like playing <laughs> poker with his buddies, and uh-huh. they're all ripping on their wives. And he's you know he like gets up to get a beer, and they're like, "Wow, you're having a lot." And he's oh, like, "Wait, I have yeah, seen. you'd be glugging a few if you had my wife." And then he immediately is just like regrets it and has yes. this huge flashback about how he was in a 
a play and she supported him. And this guy <laughs> kept stealing his lines, but she oh, was there. Yes, yes, Jamie yes. Taco. Yeah, it's great. He's it's so, so good. good at it. His voice is just like ASMR to me. Like, oh, yeah. I'll just listen to that guy read any line unless it's in an MMA show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he's so sweet in it. He's kind of plays a guy that's a little simple and okay. it is adorable he's like so just oh he's wonderful yeah um so yeah i would say that i used to, <laughs> i used to tell people to see under the cherry moon uh prince's <laughs> second film yeah which was universally panned yeah um and uh but i kind of love it um so yeah, but, but I. But that's um, not one where you're like, you will love it. Watch it. Oh yeah, no. Okay. Yeah, no. I can't guarantee. And that's the thing with the Serbian film too. Like a Serbian film pushes limits so far that, while I enjoy all of it, if I knew somebody that watched it and was like, no, no, I get it. Like I can get past that rough stuff. Like just take it for what it is. Even me having recommended it, I would be taken aback by that person. Like, really? Like, none of this, none of that got to you? Like, it should get, like, you right. should hate this movie. It's just that it's so well done. Um, but yeah, that's that's one that that I very cautiously recommend. Emphatically, but cautiously. Yeah. Uh, because it is not for everyone. And it is, it is, it's horrible. I mean, it's just awful <laughs> in the things that it shows. But um, yeah, no, I... Uh, I know it's it's a funny question because I know that I'm I'm an enthusiastic person and I know that I have told people to yeah. watch plenty of things over the years. But um, yeah, that's um, you know I usually try to pick if I'm going to emphatically tell somebody to watch something really really pushing it. I it's usually stuff that I know that people will like that it it has a little bit more universal appeal than what I might like. Sure. Like the movie Thunderheart with uh with Val Kilmer. Like that's a really really awesome movie with a really great story, super well acted. It's got a little bit of action to it. It's got, you know, all the native stuff. It's it's super super well done. Probably Val Kilmer at, at maybe one of his very best. Yep. And um but yeah, but then again, I well, we know yours cuz it's come up recently. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh. Uh, Kid Detective? Take take it as another plug. Like, give it another shot. Well, yeah, that would be my movie. Kid Detective would definitely be my movie where I'm like, God damn it. And then show-wise would be uh, this show uh, called Southside. It's uh, set in the south side of Chicago. It's just a half-hour comedy. Uh Uh-huh. Not really a sitcom. It's a single-camera show. Okay. And it's like, it's so weird because it's so good. It's not like set up punchline, you know, kind of jokes. I think the characters are so good in it and so diverse. Uh, they play off each other really well. They're just all very likable. Uh-huh. Uh, and I love Chicago. And I don't know. It's I like I watched that first season. I don't know how many times like I would just put it on if I was doing something else like and li- just to listen to it. And I have finally gotten. I've got my wife to watch it, and I got my neighbor to watch it. Oh, and I got our friend uh, Carl. He's seen half of them, half of the first season now. Okay. Uh, But yeah, our neighbors loved it. I can't tell about Carl. Who knows? Uh, But yeah. And then I got a message from a guy I used to do improv with in Chicago and like in a group text, and he's like, oh my God, you guys. You have to check out this show Southside. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry because I normally uh, 
like tell everyone i can't believe i haven't told this group yes check out Southside. <laughs> and so then he and i were just like going back and forth but uh that show is uh awesome it's on hbo max they just got picked up for a third season i'm very very excited oh excellent yeah it's uh god it's so good so many just good quotable bits but not I couldn't be like, hey, that scene where this thing happens. Well, you you've got a little bit of an advantage there. If it's if it's a half hour show, yeah. I mean, so as long as like the knock first, these things out, yeah, one or two episodes, like that's pretty digestible. You know that yeah. like if it, it's it's an easy like if you tell somebody like, hey, you have to watch, you know, all like eight episodes of the Thornbirds for like a week, right? You know, like that that's a hard sell, but. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I'll check that out. And it's not as minutes. raw as like a shameless is about the south side of Chicago. It's a good, I mean, everyone on the show is like from the south side of Chicago. Oh, like, really? It is a love letter to the south side of Chicago. Well, I mean, at least there's, yeah, there's some identity there. You know, the one the one side of Chicago that never really gets talked about is the east side. Uh, yeah, that's true. Which would be like essentially all those bungalows. And like what, like the the Skyway Bridge? Well, I think the east side is just wet. Like wet? Yeah, it's the lake, right? Is there an east? There is a that town we, called East Chicago. It's not East Chicago. It's the east side of Chicago, which is where like there's a bar there called Crowbar. Not the dance club Crowbar. <laughs> okay. But it, and it's, yeah, it's kind of like just on like the sides of like where the, the, um, the Skyway Bridge is. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's like its own area. It's like kind of that's as not considered the South Side. It's like, yeah, no, that that's just so ham- the East Side is south of the South Side of Chicago. Uh, surprisingly, yes. Maybe that's <laughs> it. Maybe that's the hook. Amazing. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yes, there there is an East Side of Chicago. Oh. Yeah. Just doesn't get talked. Right. About. I thought you were doing a joke. I thought you were doing a bit about yeah. no one talks about the East Side because it's cool. Well, think about it. It's like Hammond, right, in Indiana, yeah. and then Hammond Highland, whatever, and then it's like the first next because because it would be the east the closest or the furthest east side of chicago would be butting up against indiana well that's true yeah but it's i think that's considered the south side still i don't know i don't know i've never heard anyone talk about the east side of chicago so i'm gonna have to look if anybody out there can tell us anything about (laughs) chicago land yeah we've never been (laughs) right yeah uh interesting okay yeah, yeah, well, all right. So check out check out a Serbian film and Southside. <laughs> right. Gather, two, the, the two go hand in hand, I gather, can tell already. Gather the whole family around. <laughs> um, yeah, a Ser- we will cover a Serbian film. You still haven't seen it? No. Okay, we will watch it. It is an excellently done film. I mean, there's there's no questioning the the quality of it. It's just that there are at least at least there are there's one scene that is just graphic that I think most people could take. Yeah. Um. It 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 actually there is a death. Someone kills somebody while whilst having sex with them. Wow. Chops their head off. Um. But then there is some stuff that any like self respecting human is just gonna really struggle with. And and but it's it's on purpose. the The director is trying to mess with you. He's trying. He knows it's a movie. He knows yeah. it's safe, but he's really pushing you. And it, it's I, I'm I'm not going to go into too much detail because I literally if I just describe the scenes, people listening right now will will get upset. I mean, I, I it's right. that upsetting is I 
this is a little ignorant of me, and I've been too afraid to ask until right now. Is the movie Serbian? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's Serbian. It's in Serbian, um, and but it's it's very well subtitled, and um, and it's it's just so well done that it's it's very accessible. Like right. I mean, you you understand exactly what's going on at all times. But yeah, the the really really bad stuff. <clears throat> one of them has to do with a kid. The other one has to do with an infant. All right. So we're going to stop. I'm going to stop it right there. We're going to stop right there. But we will cover it. Oh, God. When you want to get real down and dirty. Boy, last house on the left will seem like freaking Pleasantville compared to a Serbian film. Dude, Pleasantville is good. I got to rewatch that. I actually haven't seen it. Oh, I remember it being good. It was not what I expected. It's a whole other like becoming yourself i just thought it was going to be a goofy kids trapped in a tv show movie yeah. but it's like a whole other like layer of horror no kind of <laughs> yeah that fiona apple video <laughs> anyway no no it's not I, it's nice to hear her name every 18 years i mean it's it's good it's good she needs that she did it's a good co- she did a cover of across the universe for it oh which yeah is good. that's in that cover. one yeah that's from pleasantville is it really? Yeah. I've heard that cover. It's a nice cover. It's a very good cover. Yeah. She and Rufus Wainwright both do excellent covers of that song. It's a good song. So a cover's going to sound good. Wasn't there some Beatles movie that wasn't a Beatles movie, but it has all Beatles music in it? Yes. And I don't remember. And it was one of those do one of those directors that's Evan like Rachel Wood is in it. Yeah. And it's yeah. I liked that movie, too. I actually saw the movie The Ruins because there's a guy in Across the Universe. That's what it's called. Oh, is that that's what it is? That's the name of the movie. But that's not the one that, about the guy that writes the Beatles songs. No. Like, they think, what was that one where, like, a guy, like, nobody's oh. heard of the Beatles? <laughs> uh, uh, yesterday? Maybe. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, but you're right. Across the Universe is what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. No, yeah. You're thinking of the one. Everyone blacks out, and the guy wakes up, and no one remembers the yeah. Beatles. I've never seen any of these movies. So he, like, yeah. whips out the song Yesterday. Like, that would be a good contemporary hit. Like, people in 2020 <laughs> would be like, what the fuck is that? That's a jam. <laughs> right. No, it's only good because it's... Right. We've heard it so exactly. many times. Exactly. Anyway. Enough about England. Let's get to the old West. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, th- we're talking... Bone Tomahawk tonight, today, it's, it's night, uh, from 2015. This was written and directed by S. Craig Zahler, I believe. I th- maybe Zoller. Zoller. All right, either way. Uh, it stars Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, Richard Jenkins, and Lily Simmons. Financials, this is a bummer. Ugh. This is depressing. Budget, 1.8 mil. Box office, 480,000. This is just one of those... I don't I don't get you say one point eight mil and it's like, well, they had to have made that back. (laughs) Right. I mean, you make four hundred. They probably have at this point off of rental because this has good word of mouth movie. I feel like if we just issued like the DVD of our high school comedy group, we could make four hundred thousand on it. (laughs) My God. Boating accident. (laughs) Yes. Yes. One of our 13 names. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, it is, it's very, I, I'm glad that you said it's depressing because it is, um, we can change all that with this podcast. Um, yeah, so people- hold on, let's do Nance some of them. We'll get into some spoilers and, and such. Uh, Franklin Hunt is the sheriff of the small pioneer town, Bright Hope, a peaceful and quiet, uh, town on the edge of the untamed West. 
But a suspicious drifter brings trouble, and soon Sheriff Hunt will find that the drifter has been abducted from his jail by a mysterious band of natives, along with Deputy Nick and the town doctor, Samantha O'Dwyer. He must now venture out on a rescue mission with a small posse made up of his aging second deputy, Chicory, war veteran Bruder, and the ailing husband of the kidnapped doctor, Arthur. The men encounter several trials of the West, but are still not prepared for the gruesome discovery of a tribe of cave-dwelling cannibals. The posse fights the fight of their lives as they attempt to complete their mission and return home before they are victims of the sharp and deadly bone tomahawk. <laughs> sharp. That was hard to force the title in. <laughs> in a good Just bring it back around. Yeah, good yeah, you got it. You got it. Uh, yeah, so this movie ruled. <laughs> yeah. I'm mad it took this long to watch it, I will admit. Uh, and everyone I've asked since I've watched it has said, no, they haven't seen it. Except one person, our friend Paul, he was like, I was I asked him and he's like, yeah, I saw it. And then he's like, I've never met anyone who's seen that movie. I'm like, <laughs> I know that's the problem. Yeah, I, it came to me. I was, I was in a bar. It was after a, a night of, um, martial arts training and I was with, uh, a, a fellow, uh, martial artists and we, we were talking about movies and horror movies <clears throat> and I'm kind of rattling off some, you know, popular titles and that sort of thing, talking about it. And then he is uh, a, a great guy, Howard Hunt, Venezuelan. Um, and uh, he, he kind of is just all of a sudden it was like, it came to him, like he remembered it. And he's like, he's like, dude, have you seen bone Tomahawk? And I'm like, what? And he's like, Bone Tomahawk, dude. Like, you haven't seen that movie? And I'm like, no. And he's like, that is the best horror movie. And I'm like, and I think that he's joking because right. Bone Tomahawk sounds like a bad movie. Yeah. Like, it sounds kind of like somebody was trying to come up with, like, just a movie that just tanks. Like, it's cool. I mean, once you see the movie. I'll say this. Uh, like, every title, because this, this is S. Craig Zoller's first film. Yes. Wrote and directed. I looked up his filmography. All of his titles have the most like lame generic sound right. to them. Yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, it just sounds kind of sound like Steven Seagal movie titles. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like bone. To like it's, it's almost kind of like a scrambled porn actor's name. Like, <laughs> it, like, like, I don't know if that would right. be Tom Bonahawk or, or whatever. But <laughs> anyway, it is. I. I just. I thought he was just. I honestly thought he He's was joking. America's most popular indigenous porn star, Bone Tomahawk. <laughs> yes, there's not many of them out there. <laughs> no, there aren't. No. Um. So, I, I, you know, he tells me about it. I think that he's joking. And then, God, it might have been <clears throat> probably a year later that I actually saw it somewhere, and I'm like, and it was one of those things where you just feel like, God, like, okay, I'll try. Like, this guy is a friend. He's a good guy. He was so insistent about it. Like, I'll just try it. Having no idea what to expect. That's kind of the great thing. If there's one silver lining about the fact that nobody's seen this, is that they have literally no preconceived notions about this movie yeah. at all. And it starts so dramatically that it really hooks you in from the beginning. And I told myself when I was thinking about us doing this episode, I'm like, I'm like, don't do it. I'm like, don't, don't do what you always do. I'm talking to myself. And I'm like, when you, when you cover a movie that you really like, 
all you do is just say how good it is <laughs> and like just and it's kind of there really end up being like not necessarily my favorite episodes of ours because there's not as much, you know, fun and it's not as rambunctious and <laughs> right. crazy. Yeah. Um so I'm going to We don't have doing... hot takes just like I loved every aspect. Of right, this. exactly. <laughs> it is absolute perfection. And I did say that. I'm glad you brought that that term up. I did put out a uh, socials post where I claimed, and let's just get this out of the way. I know you liked it. If you don't agree with this, that's okay. I literally called it a perfect film. Okay. I called it perfect, and I and I stand by that. Um, it's easy to call a movie perfect if you really like the performances, or if it's an actor or actress or whatever that you really enjoy and and you love watching them on screen. But every single aspect of this, probably, maybe even above all, well, I'm not going to say above all because the performances are that good, but the writing, the yeah. writing is impeccable in this movie. Yeah. For one reason or a couple of reasons, one of them being technical and one of them being more narrative driven. The technical one that I really liked is, okay, so did they ever say what year this takes place in? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know what year it is. We can assume that it's probably like what? Late 1800s? Yeah, I'd say that. I'd say that. Um, so let's say that it's the late 1800s. Now, what they what they do write in this, in the writing of it, is that instead of trying to ram down your throat that it's frontier time, they just, yes. Do they, do they use modern slang? No, it's not one of those like new Westerns where they say like motherfucker, every three words. <laughs> right, or whatever. Yeah. Like it's, it's era appropriate, but yet they're not driving it down your throat. Like there's nobody like, like, uh, like kind sir. Would you? Yeah. Uh, it's not like a David Eggers. Yeah. Like his scripts are so accurate. Right. To the it's you know, dialect and vocabulary of the time. It's, that's what makes his movies great. Yeah. Dear but it sir, can't be inaccessible. Would you be so kind as to retrieve the spittoon from the parlor? Like, it's just, it, that would be too much. Yeah. But it, they just speak very plainly is really what it is. Yeah. So, like, but if, with so, these incredible vocabularies, like, the or, I mean, I say vocabulary now just because... The way language works, we've, you know, adopted idiosyncrasies, different phrases that encompass so many things. But, you know, like in this movie, like, uh, what are you doing in my breakfast? Yeah. Uh, that that's a, that's a great line that can show you it's another time. I know exactly what the fuck he's saying, but I'm not like, no, really. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, you're in the old west. Yeah, you're writing old timey. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, we understand. No, so and so is going to take up the vanguard, like take up the rear. Right. They just say vanguard because right. that's the word they used for yeah. it at the time. Right. So yeah, it's it's just done to as much as it's needed. Not not anymore. Spill off the saddle. That's my last one. That's yeah, my last. No, one. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And um, but the other thing is, is that, and this is probably even more important. That the narrative isn't bloated and, and that the characters aren't bloated. Like most of your uh, your movies out there um, are going to have, maybe even if they have a simple approach, you're going to find out at the end of the movie 
I'm going to, it's hard to use an example without kind of explaining the the characters a little bit, but you know, if you found out that some guy was helping an expedition or a mission only because he was like wanting to clear it out because he was brokering a land deal there or something right. like a, like a fucking Scooby-Doo, like, you know, we're going to like, my mission is to build a water park here. So I'm going to scare all the people away and blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> right. You know, th- there's none of that. Or I'm only helping because you find out that he had an affair with one of the guy's wives and that was the real reason why he was helping and then when he's dying he tells the guy but the guy still saves his wife anyway like it, you don't need that right and and you those are just like little bloated we tricks. come so, like barely close to something like a that little close yeah. but it's something a, a thing i could see happening like in real life like sure. there's nothing out of the ordinary with any of the characters and how they interact with each other right uh, and there is this cool added respect of yeah. the West, you sure. know, like the, this uh, attitude people had towards each other. Right. I don't know how well I would have done <laughs> in the West. Yeah. Let and alone I, just how you talk to people. Sure. Let, uh, never mind the uh, thousands of things that will kill you. <laughs> Right. Well, they had a nice balance. It was, you know, people treat each other with respect, but matters might be settled by dueling with pistols out <laughs> right, in front yeah. of the saloon. So it's a little bit of both. Just, yeah. Like when people die, they're just like, ah, bummer. Right. Yeah. Of course. Right. Of course they died. Yeah. The the, the lifespan has greatly increased since the late 1800s <laughs> right. in this country. Um, but yeah, so it, we got an interesting background here. So you've already mentioned that um, this was Craig Zeller's first movie. And yet we've already, you know, we've rattled off some names, um, you know, Kurt Russell, Richard Jenkins, um, you know, famous people, very well-respected actors. So my first question to myself was, how the hell did this guy get this movie made and get these people? And it's kind of an interesting story and not really one that we've ever encountered before. And that is that, Craig Zoller is um, a halfway successful novelist. Um, I mean, his his books are are known. I shouldn't say halfway. He's, he's I don't know if he's topping bestseller lists, but his books are known. Yeah, um, he gets paid to write books. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which is more than I've done. So, um, but on top of that, and more importantly, he has had a copious amount of screenplays optioned. So he's written a lot of screenplays that have generated a lot of buzz. Very few of them made. Right. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because when when for those that don't know, when it when a script is optioned, it's basically like a producer is saying, I like this. I see some potential here. I've got to see if I can pull a few things together to make this work, but I don't want anybody else taking it before I get a chance to do that. So I'm going to pay you to give me some time to see if I can put a production together. And so they get money for that. I mean, it's not as much money as if they out and out purchase the script uh, fully, but, um, but at least they're getting paid. So he's Craig Zoller is just living off of having these be basically being a failed screenwriter. (laughs) Um, And uh, so he's making money. He's in the business. He's got a background as a cinematographer and um, you know, he's selling enough scripts. And even though they're not getting greenlit, he's still, his name has got some buzz to it. Yeah. So what really happened in this movie was that uh, Peter Sarsgaard, who is an actor that is pretty well known and pretty famous, uh, got a copy of the script, liked it, and automatically attached himself to play the character of 
Arthur Dwyer. Really? Yes. And so I believe that's his name. Dwyer, is it Arthur? Uh, O'Dwyer. Yeah, Arthur O'Dwyer. Oh, yeah, okay. So you've got a name attached to it. Now, his agent, Peter Sarsgaard, also was representing Kurt Russell at the time. So uh, Lucky agent. Yeah. So this agent hands the script to Kurt Russell, and he says, hey, Peter's already signed on to this. Um, you should read it. Like, I, I think this would really suit you. So Kurt Russell reads it, loves it, goes on to read one of Craig Zoller's novels, loves that even more, and absolutely signs on. So you got Kurt Russell, you got Peter Sarsgaard signed on. They are good to go. Like, now that's when, you know, Richard Jenkins is signing on and other folks. So that part was all taken care of. There was the issue of drumming up the money, though. Uh-huh. And because everybody said that looked at the script, they're like, this is five to 10 million on a low budget. Like, you're not going to get it done for one point eight million. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And but they they pushed forward. Um, they got they did a really, really smart thing of hiring the Western consultant that was on uh, Tombstone. So okay. they had somebody that really all the furniture, all the costumes, all the weapons like they had somebody that knew what to look for to make it look right. Yeah. They filmed in California, which wasn't Zoller's preference, but um, he wanted New Mexico, but California was cheaper and more accessible. So they did that. But yeah. And, and the fact that they somehow set themselves up for the task of filming the entire movie in 21 days. Yeah. I read that dude. Oh, that's insane. It's crazy, but it helps that Zoller himself was a cinematographer. And so while okay. he, he while he hadn't really been a cinematographer on any big budget movies, he was directing or he was um, being the cinematographer for friends projects where, hey, we've got fifty thousand dollars and we need to make it look like a five million dollar movie. Yeah. So he, he had experience with that. Um, he he poured himself into it, along with one of the producers, one of the producers who actually went on to be the um publisher of fangoria magazine actually um he was really invested in the project and it was really his blood sweat and tears and forgive me i don't have this uh this producer's name but right before bone tomahawk was made uh both of his parents within two years were murdered no not one not both of them died both of them inexplicably and separate from each other were murdered one you know mom gets murdered like a year and a half later, his dad gets murdered. Shit. Completely separate incidences. So he said, rather than going to therapy, he did bone tomahawk. So <laughs> he was like, this motherfucker is getting made and I will do whatever it takes to make that happen. So wow. a lot of passion behind the project. So that's really how, how the thing even hits the ground running. And he also, Craig Zoller had to sit down with Kurt Russell. Not that Kurt Russell is difficult, but had to say like you know naturally the actors attached are going to be like do you do you know what you're doing like you've never directed a movie before (laughs) like but they they sat down they talked kurt russell was was thrilled with it um and it was kind of neat there's a a bit where the producer um was talking about kurt russell and what he's like and he said kurt russell is kurt russell on screen and he is kurt russell everywhere like you look over at the craft services table and there is Jack Burton telling some over the top story about working with, you know, 
John Carpenter just the way that Jack Burton would be doing it, you yeah. know, and that he is just that fun, friendly, infectious guy wherever he goes. Just like you'd want him to be. Yeah, I want to meet Kurt Russell oh, so badly. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> oh, and we will so we will certainly talk about that. But um so yeah, and and you've got a really uh limited budget as we talked about. There was a, a story about you know, them having to pick up Kurt Russell and some just broke down jalopy instead of like sending a limo to right. his hotel to pick him up and bring him to the set. They're just picking him up in some like 1980, you know, brown sedan or whatever. Yeah. And just him hopping in the uh, the passenger seat and pulling the creaky door closed <laughs> and heading out to the desert to make a movie. The but windows. <laughs> right. Although you got to imagine, like, it's got to be a part of him that kind of respects that and maybe even uh, anticipates that. You know, like, uh, that's got to help with the kind of movie you're making if you're just, like, dirt. if it's just dirty. Right. Dirty the whole time. Right. It's a dirty movie. And and it kind of helped the production because instead of, like, lofty meetings or a, a whole bunch of, like, some giant, you know, production house overseeing everything they just took the time that they had to really sit down and talk about the scenes yeah like really break down the scenes and what they were looking for and the tone of it because as i'm sure you noticed almost instantly this is a very funny movie it is it's hysterical actually in some parts and so um you know like they they were able to to really like hone in on that consistent tone all the way through which if somebody out there is is still asking themselves the question, like, what do you mean by horror Western? Like, <laughs> right. They, they might have shut down like as soon as those words came up. But um, to answer that question, it is played as a Western all the way through, even in the moments of of gore and terror. Yeah, it is. It's not like they switch into Sam Raimi mode. Right. You know, it's still just played as sort of slightly removed observer, you know, like there, there's not, they don't get uh, too clever. Yeah. You know, it's, I noticed a lot of the, uh, like the sound effects they used in this were, they just seemed a little realer. Yeah. It wasn't like uh splatter stuff. Right. The gunshots were kind of muted. They weren't like Hollywood gunshots. Yeah. Cause yeah, you hear a, a six shooter go off. Sure. It doesn't sound uh as impressive as what you've seen in a movie before. Sure. You know? Uh yeah, and just like we uh yeah, I guess I want to say dry. I mean, I guess I'm basically thinking there's one part where like Patrick Wilson shoots like one of the the savages and like breaks his bow and like you can hear the splintering of the bow yeah as it breaks and then it's you know when they get shot it's just like a pat yeah uh it's not it doesn't have the same spectacle that, yeah, that thank you yeah spectacle that's yeah. a great way to put it yeah, it's just yeah, it's a lot more realistic and and boy, we can take that a step further with sound in this movie. There's next to no music in this movie. At yeah, all. and it was a purpose. And I was kind of uh, like like okay, I know the end of this movie when it's like the climax or whatever. We're gonna get like duh, 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 duh. <laughs> right, uh, but no, it's, it's so unsettling. Yeah, and and it's it's kind of funny because Craig Zoller, among being a you know a novelist and a screenwriter and all that stuff is also a musician. So 
for him to make the conscious choice to not have a lot of music is a pretty bold one. But I read an interview. He's kind of a big fan of that Dogma 95 movement where that started by Lars Van Trier, where um, they had these like, I think it was 12 or maybe it was 20 tenants that they had to follow. Like if you're going to make a Dogma 95 movie, it has to oh, have right. natural lighting. It has to be in the natural setting. It has to have either. It's almost next to no. Sc- I think the sounds must be like um, ambient sounds of this before. What's that? Yeah. Okay. We have covered. Yeah. It. All right. So, um, so he's kind of a fan of that, and he makes a strong point. Now, this might put some people off, including myself, because I I think the the marriage of of music and film is about as good of a couple as you could ever have. Sure. But he makes a point where he says, if you're going to show a scene with like a grouping of skulls in it, if that grouping of skulls and how it looks, how it's laid out, how it's displayed, how the actors are responding to it. If that's not coming across that it is um, what I want to say, like ominous because they're skulls. Right. And that you need some like, ooh, like <laughs> spooky music to say, like, look, skulls. <laughs> right. If you need that, then you've messed up. So you've messed up somewhere along the way. Um, it's not to say that music can't add to something of course it can it can it can elevate a moment yeah far beyond whatever it, it could be without without any sound well but, our antagonists almost have a musical uh vocal communication that's true yeah, yeah. which yeah which that's really interesting yeah but um but yeah so i mean it's it's an interesting point i, I don't know if i'm a hundred percent sold on on being that stark when it comes to to having music in a film but i think it's an interesting choice yeah you know i certainly didn't miss it you don't really even think about it yeah that much yeah i I only thought about that end bit because i was like holy shit there's been like no music well there's even a part where there's like a piano player in the bar and one of the characters like plays for three songs and then it's just like cuts to after the songs are over (laughs) you know we don't even get those so yeah it's it's very that's a funny bit yeah it is yeah piano player yeah he's Matthew Matthew Fox, who uh, is probably this is probably his best role I've ever seen him in. Oh yes, uh, he comes over and the piano player has the sign up, and it's you know one song three cents, three songs ten cents. He's like, should it be cheaper the more songs I get? And he's like, I don't like playing that much. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, like, after two songs, I get a little tired. So. Right. Um, he pays for the three and then he flips the sign around and says, I don't start till I get a drink. Too. <laughs> right. So then you got to go buy him a drink. So, yeah, a lot of bits. It's it's almost as if like. I don't want to I don't want to make it sound cheaper than it is, but it's almost as if along with like the the horror and the, the spookiness and the the um just the raw awesomeness of the acting. It's kind of like along the way they remembered, like we've got to be entertaining too. Like we've got a a two hour and 12 minute movie here. Yeah. So they really do add in those little sprinkles of humor, which I mean, like you said, I think it was in our last episode, you were talking about how when you're sitting there watching a movie by yourself, you don't normally laugh out loud too much. Yeah. People don't in general. But I, I laughed out loud at least three or four times in this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. there's just funny bits. Funny I mean, there lines. are bits of this movie where I was like screaming yes. at no one. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, 
So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it really truly does have everything. And it's, it's kind of hard to explain to somebody because it makes it sound cheap that if you say that three quarters of a movie is a Western and that the last quarter of it is horror, it really makes it sound like, well, are we really calling it a horror movie then? Right. That sounds a little, but I, did they run out of ideas for the first movie? And this sounds like a cheap right way to end it. And maybe in some ways, there isn't traditional horror in that that first three quarters of the movie. But some of the conditions that go along with living frontier life to us seem pretty horrific. <laughs> right? Like if you have like one of our our main characters, um, O'Dwyer. If you have a full-on broken leg at that time, like, that's real touch and go. Right. Like, that's... You don't have a cast. Yeah. And you've got dust <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yep. And uh, you probably don't have the most sanitary conditions. Yep. And um, now it helps that his wife is the doctor. I don't know if how common it would have been for a female to be... The town doctor. I, I thought that was really cool. I thought I, it was a great yeah, choice. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, and it really takes you by surprise. Because yeah, because when they say to like go fetch the doctor, you kind of almost think that maybe O'Dwyer himself is the doctor, but then you're like, oh, it's the wife. Yeah. Um, and that's a really nice relationship that really has to set up the entire rest of the movie because what we have is a a, a rescue film. Yeah. So yeah, because we start and his leg is already broken. Like yes. we don't see how he breaks the leg it's just it's just like a they're just going through life right like nothing big special he fell off the roof doing whatever yeah broke his leg now his wife he's a has cowboy to take care of him. Yeah. yeah yeah you know he's trying to do that that frontier thing yeah he's trying to provide a home for his wife but he's the man he's got to do it it's already right. embarrassing enough she's a doctor for christ's sake <laughs> right and uh but what, what does he do he he's a cowboy. He's like a like a oh, he's just he, like a he goes out. He's like a like a foreman. Like he oh, kind of okay. goes out and does like uh western foreman things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the thing is that's neat about it is that we we have to care about the relationship. We have to care about his wife. She's the whole reason for the movie that they that they go to to save her, which we'll get to in a sec. But what I want to say is they set up their relationship nicely by Getting something we don't often see, a frontier sex scene. Oh, a great. Yeah. This is a hot sex scene. Yes. And I don't know why I liked it so much. <laughs> well, you just don't, you don't, I mean, when you, when you're a kid and you go this in our area, it's called sex scene. I wouldn't be like, now here's a Western sex scene. This was a pretty clean. This was like the hot, most cleanest Hollywood bit in the movie. Well, yeah. Especially he turns over to do missionary no his fucking leg is a a mess right why would you unless that was just like of the time like this is the way you gotta well, do it and notice yeah he says that line let's Let me do let's it the do right this. way yeah, yeah right so um but yeah but it's no you're right i mean but when when we sit here and we think about frontier time like we have in our area there's a place just down the road a little bit called connor prairie and when you go down there you see people like you know, they have hired actors and they're like churning butter and stuff. And like in 1907, you know, but you don't see them banging. 
Like you don't go there as a as a school trip. That's the nighttime tour, right? So it is. You don't really see a lot of sex in westerns. I guess let's just come right out and say it. Right, unless it's in the saloon with uh, right whores. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. You're right. There's no love making. Right, exactly. And so we have we have, but it's so adorable. Like, oh, it's it's so cute from a from a sex standpoint because. Because he's struggling with the leg, she's on top, and then they have to change the positions. She gets underneath and then just says, please continue, <laughs> which is, you know, such a like a, a like a sweet way of saying, like, you know, get back in there. Yeah. Um, but uh, but, you know, it's it's a nice scene. And then more importantly than that, after the scene, um, we get a, a, a sweet moment where. Um, she wants him to read a letter out loud that he had written to her when he was off on one of his, you know, frontier trips or whatever. And um, she calls it a poem and he's yeah. kind of embarrassed by the fact, like, I wouldn't write a poem, you know, but it's a letter and she sees it as very poetic. So we see a nice relationship between these two. They're, yeah, they're sweet to each other. They love each other. Um, and it, it, it feels very real. She wants keep his leg elevated right. Then when she yeah. leaves, he like removes one of the pillows like there's a good Get, you know, push and pull there between them. But yeah. you could tell they just love each other so yes. much. Yeah. And it's important because, you know, in, in the beginning of the film, that's another thing. The film starts out wonderfully with an extremely aggressive and in your face throat slitting. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is a movie where the first thing you hear is flies buzzing. Yeah. <laughs> and right. then open on a, I mean, it's even a great shot. Like the guy is laying down, but it's upside down. Yeah. So it's this like a right overhead shot of this guy laying down and then a guy just jumps on him and slits his throat. Yeah. And that guy is David Arquette. Yeah. And uh, Sid Haig. So we got this fun kind of duo in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, two bandits. Sid yeah. Haig, David Arquette. I'm so glad David Arquette was not in this movie more. I was really worried he was going to. But this director knows better. Yeah. He somehow. It was just enough. He extracted that. Yeah, he extracted that overt twitchiness that David Arquette does where we almost feel uncomfortable watching him (laughs) because he looks like he's so uncomfortable. Uh, So. So, yeah, he it's just a nice straight ahead performance. And uh, it kind of sets up our first encounter with we might as well go ahead and mention them that they're referred to as troglodytes. Yeah. Just cave dwelling people. Yeah. A native people, but but very much as is referenced later in the movie, separate and not not um, appreciated or recognized really by any of the other tribes of the area. They are kind of shunned by the other tribes because yeah. of their their just um, brutal nature. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, and well, they're inbred. Yeah, it said that they're inbred, which man. Like I, I that I have a little issue with that don't make them inbred because you don't get like bigger and stronger when you're inbred. Right. Like nothing works on that's, your body. Like it's, you, they should just be like tubs of goo, barely able to survive. <laughs> Not like able to do throat surgery on each other. Right. Yes. Good point. Good point. Um. But but what? And it's it's something that I think is is an interesting topic because. Remember this it's not that old of a movie it's 2015 I I you and I both have remarked on like god I thought this came out earlier like I yeah. I didn't realize it was so recent so 
the idea of pitching a film where your villains are especially native people who after a certain amount of time or certainly after dances with wolves were kind of like very purposely revered in films because of so many years of being seen as just the villains as just bloodthirsty savages right it's like that that wrong kind of got righted after dances with wolves yeah when kids played cowboys and indians no one was like i'm sorry i'm taking your land right yes exactly <laughs> and the indians were the bad guys exactly. right so to to choose to make a group of native people your villains is a very ballsy choice but again they they make a point of one of the other natives in the town, you know, saying like, no, they they aren't like us. And I think that that's a really perceptive thing to say. And I I don't want to. This movie isn't preachy. This movie isn't political. And you I don't want to make tall it trees. Yeah, character. Yeah, the character of tall trees played by uh, Zon McLaren, fantastic native actor. Um, I first knew him from, I believe it was Longmire. That was a show that I tried to get people to watch that nobody watched. Longmire, Longmire is fan fucking tastic. Um, well, not the main Mister Anderson guy from uh-huh. uh, The Matrix, but yeah. one of the other guys that looks yeah one of the other agents from yeah. the matrix is in it <laughs> right yes but he is those guys fantastic. weren't in the matrix as they were good so not hugo <laughs> weaving no but, the, but this guy is better than hugo Weaving. all right um so whoa and don't L- say L- that L- take L- that back L- well i watch longmire and then tell me uh different than hugo weaving <laughs> okay say. um but uh, no, he was I first saw him in Longmire, fantastic native actor. So they make a point. He makes a point of saying, no, they're not like us. And I I think that that's a strong point to make because and a good dig too. like you white guys would think we're all the same. Right. But we are definitely not. And that's because that's the thing. I mean, I, I hate to come right out and say it, but horrible behavior is specific to horrible behavior. It's not specific to race. I know that this is, you know, might hurt some people's, you know, fantasy, but there are bad white people out there. What? There are bad black people out there. What? There are bad Indian people out there and bad any other race that you can think of out there, because, again, it doesn't follow the race. It follows the, the behavior and, and probably more importantly, the mentality, yeah. like the, the, the cruel mentality. And so this movie takes a really bold step to say, like, oh, yeah, the bad guys are Indians. <laughs> But um, but they really are presented as w- whatever race they might be. Just yeah, I mean, they do a good I mean, you don't kind view of them as Indians like, yeah, they are they are a different thing. They're, you know, they're just more humanistic versions of like the cave dwellers in in uh, the descent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a really great comparison. Yeah, they're there, just actually. they just didn't go through like this fake evolution thing. Yeah. Basically saying like people that aren't like us, you know, people right. that are probably closer to a more animalistic existence and whatnot that or what we would consider that, which actually they follow that pretty closely because these guys, uh, along with just terrifying people, love to mutilate themselves some genitals. And uh, and that's something that is kind of like. 
That's kind of shitty. Like, you want to believe that, like, wild animals are inherently good. But one of the first things that a chimpanzee will do is rip your cock and balls off. <laughs> they love it. They can't get enough of it. They'll take off your hands and feet first. Oh, they strip God. you of your weapons. And the next thing is the is the jewels. Damn. And um, so, yeah. So they, these people are rough. They're rough around the edges. Yeah. Um, but uh, long story short, uh, without having to walk you through the entire plot, O'Dwyer, Dr. O'Dwyer is is uh, kidnapped. Yeah. Um, because what happens what is earlier in the movie that these two bandits desecrate a burial site and they uh, one of them is killed. The other one is tracked back to the town of Bright Hope um, where they are seeking revenge. Yeah. And in the process of seeking revenge and bringing him back to to their land, they also bring Dr. O'Dwyer, who was tending to him because of a gunshot. Right. So we could walk you through the yeah, whole kind of weird series of events yeah. that kind of puts these people in these unique situations and then they're all abducted. Now, I won't walk you through those weird series of events, but I will walk you a little bit through like some weird ass like casting that that like when we see a little bit or what little we see of other townspeople. You've got um, in the, <laughs> the wonderfully named local bar, the Learned Goat. Yeah, you've got actress Sean Young. You've got um, not Corey Feldman, but the other frog brother from oh. Lost Boys. Oh, he's in it. Oh, my God. Uh, um, and you have Michael. Pa- you have Michael Pere from Eddie and the Cruisers, who was Eddie and Eddie and the Cruisers. Oh, that's who that guy was. Dude, I, uh, I could not figure out who that guy yeah. was. Yeah, I knew I had seen him before. And, I have never seen Eddie and the Cruisers, though, so I don't I don't know how I do it. Uh, uh, hold on. I'm mean, going to do it. I'm not going to go off, but you, you haven't seen it. Okay. Not do now, it. and isn't the guy... Isn't that the, title alone makes me go, no, thank you. Isn't, isn't the uh, the piano player the guy from Top Gun? The, the bald guy from Top Gun that, like, kind of like... He's, he's not Ed Harris, but sort yeah, of Ed Harris. No, no. The... the, the uh, Principal from yes. Back to the Future? Yes. No. Isn't that the piano player? No. No? Oh, shit. Now I gotta look it up. <laughs> well, let me just say that, yeah, I mean... We're... Oh, my God, it was! Yes! What? Yeah! Holy shit. I did not recognize him at all. <laughs> well, it's because he wasn't being like... It's because he was tired instead of just like, <laughs> right, like ripping somebody's ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we get a, a nice little menagerie oh. of barely noticeable like fun cameos there and um so but either way dr o'dwyer has been kidnapped um and we really get a very nice presentation of just how horribly guilty everybody feels about this yeah the you know you've got the sheriff who left the 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 police station or the sheriff station um you know, while she was attending or yeah. while she was. Yeah, we should say it. one of the deputies stayed behind and she was like, he's got a fever. I need to be here until it breaks. So it was the the abduction. Tim is going to pee while I'm just like giving a very brief description here. So I, I'll find something else to go into. Uh, I don't even remember what I was saying now. Uh, oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the doctor, the deputy and the uh, roustabout are the ones kidnapped. Uh, they all get together at the Learned Goat uh, to discuss what's going to happen. Uh, and uh, there's something with the mayor. The mayor uh, bit is kind of funny because the wife seems real overbearing and everyone only talks to the wife and ignores the mayor. 
so they decide uh, to get a posse together. They don't even say posse though. Like that's just me using uh, the 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 lingo that I know. Uh, but it's you know so the sheriff's life. I'm gonna go. Richard Jenkins is his like next in line deputy. He's like I'm gonna go with you. I have to go with you. He just their relationship is awesome. I love how much chicory who's Richard Jenkins. How much chicory just like reveres Hunt. Oh like, yes, it, like he is just looks up to him so much. Uh, then you got Matthew Fox as Mister Bruder, who is. He feels like he has to go because he's the one who went to get the doctor. Yeah. Uh, So he's like, I got you guys involved in this. And then Arthur is like, I'm not sitting here at home with a broken leg. I'm coming with you. Yeah. So those four guys go. Yeah. My my wife and I bang and it's pretty hot. So I'm (laughs) going to go get her back. Trust me, guys. (laughs) I would like that to happen again. No, you you mentioned. I'm glad that you ran through the cast list because I mean we we have to eventually get into just how amazing this entire cast is. Well, yeah, and that's one of my things where I'm like, or or it's one of the arguments I'll make from here on out when someone's like, eh, Bone Tomahawk. I don't know. I'll just be like, look, here are these, you know, just the four main guys who go. Patrick Wilson's okay. Yeah, uh, he's just like a guy who's always consistent, but just never jumps out he's got a fucking boring name you're right and and the character is and it's probably not i don't know if patrick wilson is the most magnetic guy on screen that i've ever seen but you know what's so weird he's a musical theater guy he is he was like yeah he was in like that's that's pretty much like he's won tony's he's won like yeah he's like he's like if you like he was in like miss saigon he was in like like a whole like he's yeah it's so weird because he's so kind of like flat sometimes yeah on screen but yeah he is a, a a musical theater performer okay which is really weird uh but yeah he's good matthew fox is i mean i can go i can go either standing. way he's, yeah, yeah, he's so good at this yeah as far as his other work goes i mean he was on party of five which i didn't watch it sounds like you didn't watch it no which, fuck that. why yeah how did you not watch that show because 90210 was on oh jesus <laughs> Not at the same time. Well, though. yeah, but I mean, it wasn't as cool. It was like, like the. It was like, yeah, it wasn't. Cool. You didn't watch Melrose. You were just like, purely... I watched Melrose. Oh, I watched okay, Melrose. Yeah. all right. Yeah. It's tapering off though. Yeah, right. I mean, Party of Five came later. Yeah, so probably. But the, Party of Five craze. was kind of like for the like the goody goodies, like the kids that didn't get to watch the rough and tumble Mean Streets of Beverly Hills. <laughs> rough and tumble. <laughs> uh, then he did Lost, which is a great show. I love Lost. Um, oh, is was he any good on Lost? Oh yeah, he was good. On I never Lost. watched that. He was good on Lost. Okay, but yeah, he never like movie wise. I've only seen one movie that I can say I liked him in, and that was Smoke and Aces, and he just played a cameo in it essentially. Oh, uh, have you seen that movie? No, that movie is crackers, dude. That's one you got to see. Who's in that? <clears throat> oh, everyone: Ray Liotta, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I can't think of anyone else. Uh, ben Affleck's in it. Chris Pine. It was one of Chris Pine's first movies. He really? plays a guy named uh, Darwin Tremor. It's him and two other three two other dudes. The three of them make up the Tremor brothers, who uh-huh. are unhinged psychopaths. They are <laughs> they rule. Uh, oh, Ashley Keys is in it. It's got so many people in it. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking who's the guy from PCU? I can't think of uh, Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven's in it. Wow. Yeah, uh, incredible cast. Just a off the rails, like five hitmen trying to get one guy who's at the top 
like in a penthouse in a hotel. Well, that and they're fun. all trying to like get in there all at the same time to kill him. Yeah. Great movie. So crackers. Um, but yeah, he's got just like a bit in that. Yeah. Long story short, he's hilarious in it. Uh, but yeah, he shows up in this and is so... Uh, I've never seen him play a part like this. Yeah. Uh, he's usually... Like he is usually like a like take charge character, mm-hmm. so he it, w- that part does come across in this. He's just far more stoic and confident. Like a lot of he plays like a nerve, nervous, confident pretty yeah. well. But in this, he's just like on a mission. Well, yeah, he's he, our racist guy as yes, well. But it's his. Ra- I'm going to actually say this: his racism is fascinating. Um, it is. It is, and and it's. And it and it really just shows how complex and fragile of a character he plays. Because let's just spill the beans here. His mom and sisters were killed by natives. Yeah. So he as when he was ten years old, and as he says, that makes quite an impression on a ten year old boy. Yeah. So he is is not a fan of natives at all and has gone out of his way to kill just about as many as he possibly could as a revenge yeah so he which has, he keeps alluding to when they when they just are setting out he's like i'm going to come with just cuz i've killed more indians than all of you combined and right. tall trees is like that's a weird boast and he's yeah. like not a boast just a fact <laughs> right yeah it's so good and uh and the thing is it's like he has this very put together and very polished exterior. Um, and, he, you know, his suit uh, fits differently. His hat is differently. He looks very clean, looks wealthy. Yeah. Um, it, like he's educated. Colored suit. Too. Yeah. Like not who wears cream in the desert? Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. But he, he he seems wealthy. He seems sort of on the exterior. He seems confident. But there's this one telltale scene and it's maybe me reading too much into it but it's very early on and he's about to leave the learned goat and he sort of takes this odd moment to really sort of pull himself together kind of straighten his sleeves straighten his vest put his uh hat at the right angle look up and then exit yeah almost as if he was someone who is internally completely driven by rage uh-huh. But has this exterior of being of holding it together, but actually has very much a fear of intimacy because, as it is said in the movie, has never been married. Yeah. Although he's an attractive guy. Yeah. And where does he sleep when they have the campfire, when everybody's gathered around? Where is he? He's off separated yeah. from the rest of the group. This is a guy who does not do intimacy. He yeah. might even throw out some verbal digs to people to keep them at a distance. This is obviously a very troubled guy who's never gotten over the death of his mother and his his sisters. Right. Not an excuse for racism, but that's what <laughs> makes his character so interesting. See, I would say that bit where he, yes, because he does, this is right after uh, when he's going to get the doctor. Because Kurt Russell is interrogating uh, uh, David Arquette. He's shown up in the town. Someone like they saw him bury something, so they're like, "What's up with this guy?" He's like, "If you try and run, I'm going to shoot you." And he tries to run, and Kurt Russell shoots him in the leg. So, <laughs> no good. Tim just opened a Corona Refresca Moss and made a face like it was uh, no bueno. No. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, that was pretty funny. Yeah, and I said that in Spanish. Uh, <laughs> um. So. 
I thought he was doing that because he's going to see the doctor who he does. He they allude to he did try. Okay. And pick her up. Yeah. And okay. She said no. But he was like, fine. Like, he doesn't seem the, the character who's constantly after it. But everyone knows, like, he likes this girl. Sure. So I think that was him, like, oh, I get to go see the doctor now. Let okay. me make sure I look the fucking best. But one, it, well, yeah, I, I will go with that. I will say, though, that I, I do still believe that there there is that complex. And his compl- appearance is important, too. Yeah. There is that complexity, though, because and and where we get to see a little piece of that is, you know, here he is having this. I don't even know if you'd call it his racism seems very clinical, <laughs> like he just it's kind of like these people killed my mom and my sisters. I don't like these people. That's just a fact. Yeah. To me, it's very simple to him, I should say. Well, but so, he also is racist to Mexicans. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um. But yet we get these little glimmers like he really loves his horse and he yeah. takes a lot of pride in his horse. And there is a fantastic scene where his horse is mortally wounded by some uh, Mexican um, thieves, raiders. Bandits, raiders. And uh, he knows that he has to put his horse out of its misery. And you you can tell just in him realizing what he has to do, the walk over there. And he can't even like because of this fear of intimacy that he has. He can't just be blubbering, but he just says, thank you for your service, right. you know? And, uh, but when he's got that beautiful vacant look, like when he shoots the horse and his eyes are just filled with tears and he's just kind of like looks up in a way, like just sort of like almost in a daze. Yeah. Like it's, he fucking kills this role. I mean, yeah. Matthew Fox. I mean, my, I can't think of another actor I'd la- rather have in this role. He's so good in it. Yeah. He's so good. Um, but I can say that about a lot of these roles, though. Well, let's talk about Richard, Richard Jenkins. Jenkins. First of all, let me paint the picture very quickly for you. This is this is way oversimplifying it. It I don't mean this across the board, but if you need a very quick reference for who he is, he is uh, Betty White's character from Golden Girls, but a man in the West. Like, <laughs> kind of like rambling. He's not that dumb. I know. So stupid. He is such an interesting character. And in the hands of a lesser actor, you would have an absolute ham fest. Yeah. It would just be overdone because he's sort of quirky he's sort of at times kind of simple minded. Um, and so, like you said, so so um solidified in his following of and and just um loyalty, loyalty. to to sheriff hunt yeah. um that he might be played as some sort of like simpleton you know i guess is that i don't even know if that's a correct word to say anymore but you know what i mean yeah um but uh but at times he plays it just right so that we know we're not talking i mean he doesn't play it like fucking Forrest Gump. You know, he doesn't right. play like Tom yeah. Hanks, just, you know, whatever. The he fuck never does was. anything incompetent. No. Or, you know, dumb. He's just, I just wouldn't trust him to lead. Yeah. Born follower, but loyal as hell. Yeah. Simple man. Dude, but, but he's got thoughtful. a great, one of my favorite, just one of my favorite bits in this movie. And it's a testament to how well it's written. Uh, and how well he develops these characters. So, like, the first time they're setting up camp, Bruder is, like, setting bells up. And he's like, listen, you hear one of these bells, you shoot at it. Don't, you know, I'll probably beat you to it, but do it anyway. And he's got all these rules. 
And already Richard Jenkins is like, hey, man, like, you're not in charge here. It's Hunt. Like, Hunt's in charge. And he's like, I'm not trying to overstep anyone's bounds. I've done this before. Just, you know, do do what you do. I'm going to shoot at whatever trips those bells, right? Yeah. So then a, a little bit later, as they're, like, laying down about to sleep, and Chicory is just talking to, to Hunt, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm like, been in the bath. He's like, do you ever read a book in the bathtub? And he's like, uh, I can't say I have. And he's like, I want to, but I always like, I either fuck the book up or, or I like get it wet, turning the pages. And so Kurt Russell's just like, I, you know, just get like a stand, put the book on a stand, get like a little towel to dry your fingers on. And he's like, oh, that's great. Man, I bet Bruder couldn't have come up with something like that. Like had to find a, yes. a way yeah. to be like, see, Hunt. You are the fucking best one here. Right. You're the smart one here. But at the same so time, <laughs> I, it's so good. But yet, so, so adorably also floored by Hunt's brilliance. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, he, he's, yeah, you're like, right. He didn't know the answer and he was just trying to make Hunt feel better. Yes. He was reassuring himself. Yes. That Hunt is the smart one. Right. There. Exactly. And, but and in the meantime is blown away by Hunt, <laughs> right. you know, and it's he's and, like, I can't wait to go home. I'm going to read a book in the bath. <laughs> His almost at times childlike enthusiasm is probably one of the, the singular most sweetest things I've ever seen in any film. Yeah. And, and we know that it, it only gets sweet. Oh God, I get talking about it when he talk. we'll talk about it. At the, we'll talk about the end when we're ready to talk about the end, but just him talking about that, that flea circus, like we'll get to that though. Cause that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Um, but uh but Wait, yeah. you're tearing up at the flea circus bit? yes but but just because of well we'll get we'll get to it like what yeah he has a has. you know his wife is departed yes uh and it's you know it, they deal with that really well it's not something that's like beat over your head right uh but not something he just mentions once it's all very natural just like i was you know what were you doing this morning putting flowers on my wife's grave that's yeah. it you know and he you know tells the story it's obvious they had a long relationship a yeah. long and life together so dearly. all of his stories yeah. involve her naturally yeah uh but yeah that uh, the flea circus uh story was kind of cool well we'll we'll get to why that that touches me so much but um well, well, well what well, okay so what it is i mean cuz i kind of have to set the the scene and and what cuz i i thought to myself like why insert they're in the worst possible situation that somebody can be in. Yeah. Trapped by these troglodytes in the K in the troglodytes layer um, with next to no sign of any sort of salvation whatsoever. So what I like thinking of is that when oh, that's right. Okay. You want to get, we'll get to that when we get yeah, to it. Yeah. Cause I thought he'd said that story earlier, but you're yeah. right. It's when they're after they're captured. Right. Yeah. Spoilers, we'll, we'll get, they to get captured. Oh Yeah. So so along the way, now you might be thinking to yourself, I don't know. I I don't and we actually I'm 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 glad that I'm saying this because I think it's it's probably the about the most important thing that we can say in this podcast on this episode. I get it. Not everybody is a fan of westerns. 
And not I everybody hate westerns, especially what's that? I hate westerns, right? And not well. That's a perfect, perfect yeah. example. And and generationally, like another reason why I kind of put off watching this movie, right, right? And people like like my dad likes westerns. You know, like our our parents' generation was at least a little bit. Our grandparents' generation certainly liked oh westerns. God. Yeah, Gr- parents' generations appreciated it because they their parents probably liked it so much. But by the time you get to somewhere around Gen X, and then certainly anywhere after you know it's not a nearly as revered a genre and almost even hated i think in some ways people like couple it with how like universally like country music is hated sure you know in these parts which i think is unfair i mean i'm not going to sit here and, and decry an, an, an entire genre of music that's yeah. that's ignorant um but well, i will say i think i think new pop country has really opened people's eyes to how good like country from like the 50s and 60s oh you mean people singing pop songs with like fake southern accents yeah that's basically what country is yeah um no you're right you're right um so but yeah i think people think see westerns and it's just an immediate like no i don't do westerns like i don't find them interesting i don't i i need something newer i need something flashier and uh but i i have to say right now to just put that out of your mind i'm just i'm just ordering you to not think that way please Because you'll 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 be missing out on so much if you if you just immediately disregard it because it's a Western. Yeah. And I think the pacing is good in this, especially for a movie about guys traveling across flat land. Right. Yes. (laughs) Who at one point lose their horses and other walking across flat land. Right. Um, Another testament to how good the script is. Uh, just to keep you engaged in that. I th- one of the big uh, criticisms I read about this movie was the runtime. It is a longer runtime. It's like a minute or two hours, 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. But I'll say I checked the time at one, just one time while watching this and was shocked. I had already watched an hour. I was like, oh, shit, I'm an hour into this. Already. Right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't feel like it dragged really at all. Like I couldn't be like, oh, you got to cut this part. Or I don't need this bit. Oh, I, I wouldn't cut a thing. I, I, I honestly wouldn't. And yeah. yeah, and if I'm sorry, if that's the only thing that you can find bad about a movie, then it's probably pretty good. Right. And you should probably be thankful that it's two hours and twelve minutes long. <laughs> um so yeah, so we um I feel like okay, we've we've laid enough of the the groundwork as far as what's happening. These guys are obviously traveling. There's a lot of fun anecdotes, but you know what? I'm gonna, I'm just going to stop and I'm not going to tangent too hard on this. But if you read about this movie, something that comes up a lot, especially since Kurt Russell was in the same year in the Hateful Eight that Quentin Tarantino directed. When we're talking about the humor in this movie, and we're talking about these these fun kind of um, neat, I don't want to say kitschy scenes, but but just like unexpectedly entertaining scenes, little bits of dialogue. I'm not sure Quentin Tarantino can make this movie. I, 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 I the, as the years go oh, on, yeah. I kind of am starting to look Tarantino is, is entertaining as hell. Yeah. And he does a really great job of borrowing some of the best bits of, of past cinema and putting his personal twist on it. Yeah. But I just don't know if he could ever, be willing to dial himself back enough to make a movie that's this straight ahead without having without it being slicker and stickier. Yeah. Yeah, but he doesn't need to. 
Well, I mean, yeah, we we love those <laughs> slick, sticky movies. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they they have well, a place. The guy's but proven himself. I no guess one what, could make a Tarantino movie. Several people have tried. Well, that's true. Good point. That's an excellent point. I guess what I'm saying is the, the reason we had a why, whole decade of movies of people trying to be Tarantino, right? But I, I guess well, the reason why I even bring up the comparison is just to say that you can have, as this movie is, a dialogue-heavy movie that is entertaining and is, you know, quirky and funny in its own little way, but without, but it all seems so completely natural. Yeah. Well, and this came out the same year as Hateful Eight. Yes. Came out. Yeah. Where Kurt Russell has twice the mustache he has in this movie. <laughs> right, right. Which <laughs> is just growing on his way there. And yeah, that movie, I I do like that movie. It's probably my least favorite Tarantino movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's still good. But yeah, it is far more like theatrical. Right. Uh, staged, I guess, yeah. is what I'm looking for. I mean, I, I and, guess it has to be it's all in one building the whole time. But you, but, but, but yeah, you're kind of... But you can feel, you can feel the dialogue. The, yeah. Like, people are the doing theatricality of the yeah. performances. Yeah. yeah. And in this movie, you, you don't really get that. It's just... I mean, it's like... God, Kurt Russell has one of the most, like, recognizable faces on the planet, but... He is Sheriff Hunt, and that's and you just you believe that hook, line, and sinker. He's he's such a such a good man in this. It's like it's funny you get done watching this movie, kind of going back to what you were saying about that sort of Western respect thing. Uh-huh. You get done watching a movie like this, and you're like, I want to be a better person. Right? <laughs> like I want to speak to people with more respect. I want to like get up and do things when something has to be done. I got to get up and do it instead of just being a, a lazy person or whatever. Yeah. Like it, it, and, and his character especially is just so uh, driven by doing the good, but yet he's not, you know, holier than thou. He's just a guy doing the right thing. Yeah. And what he thinks is the right thing is usually the right thing. <laughs> and, it, and there's so many wonderful times. There's more than one. There's a couple times where, it's not just the interactions, but there are times in this movie where two people are getting worked up and it's somebody, you know, usually Kurt Russell saying to somebody to, to let somebody be, you know, just let it, let them go. Like kind of, there's an understanding of how psychology works. Like, Hey, I know you're upset. I know you want to say something to him, but you need to let this go. Yeah. You need this, this person is going through something and you need to let them do that. Yeah. It's, so thoughtful it's really well done that way yeah but eventually these guys do find their way to the layer of the troglodytes yeah well, let's get to the horror part of this yeah story. yeah there, there is <laughs> right it's a horror podcast for god's sake yeah uh the movie does a good job too of setting up because they have to leave patrick wilson behind because the the horses get stolen like poor Patrick Wilson, like they're like, okay, you start out early, we'll catch up to you, yeah, and then leave like a trail where we're at, yeah. So he gets to sleep less than they do, and yeah, there's one part where Matthew Fox kind of goads him a little bit about his wife, like can't wait to see your wife or whatever he says, right? And Patrick Wilson tries to take a swing at him, falls, fucks his leg up again, yeah, even more, even more, yeah, like rebreaks it, yeah. And so they're like, you got to stay here. We'll leave a trail. So now it's just the three of them. 
And it like it happens so fast because um we we know the one like mountain pass from the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Which I will say, I don't remember if you said this on air or not at the beginning. But you said it wasn't supernatural. I feel like they did try and set up a little supernaturalness to it because a you've got a lot of skulls and stuff that's just like imagery but still supernatural ish imagery and while uh and this is the Sid Haig and David Arquette because they yeah movie opens they're like killing some guys camping they hear horses so they're like we got to hightail it out of here so as they're like walking through this canyon, they're like, oh, wow, there's skulls here. And then they're like, wait, wasn't the sun like on the other side of us? It's like, oh, don't pay attention to that. And it's just like, oh, all these like this area is weird. Like something odd is going on here, which would mean like they wouldn't the sun wouldn't move. Right. Right. But it's like implied because now they're in this area. Like maybe there's a little something not natural or supernatural going on what i like to call kakaira <laughs> uh but you know but th- that's like the most they do it yeah uh they they leave us a, a lot of stuff unexplained to where i could go either way on it because yeah so we have our the introduce uh like it, it happens so fast because yeah they're like kind of in this canyon uh they get as far as we've seen as we saw like sid and david arquette get yeah um, they they get past that part, so we're like, oh, okay. You kind of relax a little bit, then shoom, boom, like arrows, but like yeah. arrows hit them. Oh, they see the cave. That's right. Yeah, they do see the cave. Another interesting thing, uh, they have that telescope, and they call it the German. Yeah, I, I must have missed why. Well, I looked that up today. Okay, okay. So I, they didn't say it in the movie. Another great thing about this movie, they aren't like. We call it the German because. Right. Yes, exactly. I looked up, uh, I just looked up German telescope, German vintage telescope, and I saw one that looked exactly like they used in the movie. Yeah. And it was German, and that was it. Yeah. Like, I think like you could tell, like, it's like a piece people don't have. Like, the yeah. care they take, because it's Matthew Fox's. Right. And then, like, Richard Jenkins gets to use it, and he looks so excited, and he's just like, can the sheriff try like the sheriff yeah. <laughs> needs to see through this thing. This is insane. Um, so yeah, they're immediately just like, we've got arrows flying. Uh, Matthew Fox gets his fucking hand cut off. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, these guys come now and they have been peppering us with these weird howls. Yeah. Right. Uh, which sound ethereal-ish. But, to the movie's credit, it's not, they're not like weird, I've evolved this weird way of, you know, yelling or speaking or whatever. And I love the way they set it up, too. So cool. Because as Matthew Fox is sitting there trying to recuperate, they've killed the couple Indians that ambushed them. Sorry if I use the word Indian. No, Indian is fine. Uh, Okay. Okay. and he at one point just kind of like pokes one of them and it's so subtle and you just hear this like weird little gurgly whistle but they don't they don't hang on it too much and he's not like what's that that's weird like that's all you get and yeah. then later on as we you know encounter these guys over and over like Patrick Wilson 
uh, as he has now advancing to the cave, kills one of them, and then realizes like they have literally like transplanted like a different bone, like they like, do their own tracheotomy. Yeah. Uh, and they put sort of a bone whistle yeah, mechanism, like a weird bone in their whistle. windpipe. Yeah. yeah. So that it, so that they are allowed to admit this this howl that kind of sounds like it's being blown through like a horn almost. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really like other otherworldly and creepy, but it's very very cool. And um, and and by the way, put let, one let, in his mouth, which is oh yeah. I mean, there's some gross moments in this movie. Oh yeah, that might be one of the grossest. And you know what? What's interesting though is not. I don't want to backtrack because we're we're getting to the good stuff here, but. The movie does, and there's one scene in particular, and it's one of the few scenes with music. There is a, a scene where Patrick Wilson is in such a bad way. First of all, he's probably over drinking this opium tincture. Uh-huh. Um, so that's kind of like he, he's drugging himself to, to get through the pain of his leg. His, his leg is messed up. It's in a bad way. And. He, you know, the, the rest of the other three guys are far ahead of him. And we actually get this small scene with a little bit of background music where we're like, he's going to die. Yeah, this is it. Like this guy is he's he's going to get, like he has a couple points where he just stops walking. And you think like he just this is him realizing he can't do it. Yeah, like it. And that's what make what's so funny is. That's not what's happening. Maybe it is, but he pushes through it. But we as an well, audience he's walking see on that slope at night. Yes. I was like, like I, that was like the most on edge I had been in the whole movie up to that point. But like to the idea of seeing somebody so determined get to a point where they realize that despite their determination, despite their passion and the love for their wife and the need to rescue her and all the horrific th- things that he's imagining is, is happening to her that he, because of his physical limitations realizes I cannot do this. What's great is he just pushes past that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that old West work ethic that we're talking about <laughs> here. He's like, fuck that. But as audience members, we see this and we're like, yeah, that dude's dead. Like he, he's not going to make it right. We think he's not going to make it because of that. We certainly think that Dr. O'Dwyer, his wife, who we really haven't seen, doesn't stand a really strong chance. We don't know if she they're going to chase a dead woman. And then, you know, along the way, you got Richard Jenkins, who's older than dirt. just waiting for Richard Jenkins to die. Yeah. This whole movie. Oh, yeah. And that's a th- that's the other thing. Kind of like I was talking what I was talking about earlier, that they don't pull any punches with like, you know, feeding up these little plot or narrative devices. There are sometimes even in the blocking and the action that you're seeing, like somebody's going to round that corner and then this thing is going to happen. But right. then it doesn't. And I know that's it sounds like a dumb explanation. You have to see the movie to know what I'm talking <laughs> right. about. But they don't use a lot of cliches of movement, action, and scene progression. Yeah. Um, but either way around it, Kurt Russell and uh, Richard Jenkins and uh, Matthew Fox, at least Matthew Fox part of the way, are making it into their further penetrating the, the layer. But things go awry. They are attacked. They are some bad things happen that being that that horn being rammed down kurt russell's throat yeah well, um, that's the bone tomahawk yeah and um it's which is just a jawbone right yeah yeah a large jawbone of i would assume a cow but it looks bigger than like a big cow and bridge episode do you remember me talking about you asked me like what weapon i would use yes <laughs> and it was the jawbone um that's right and because uh, I, I have one uh, that our, our friend that? Johnny gifted me. What was that? 
Uh, oh, chainsaw? Uh, no. Yeah, maybe. Like if you had to pick like, you asked me if I had to pick like a signature weapon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe it was. All right. So, um, but yeah, these are, our heroes have made it so far. They've made it right to the cusp of getting to where they need to be, and they are overcome and now being dragged into the lair. They're not penetrating it. They've been overcome, and now yeah. they're being dragged into it. They are also abducted. But yes. when we get in, the good doctor is still alive. Woo-hoo. So is Nick, the deputy. Uh, He's not doing great. Like, what about the drifter? They're like, they ate him. Yeah. <laughs> He's gone. And then we get, and this is very rarely going to be talked about in this movie. Just a fantastic round of acting from Lily Simmons. So because you got to think about this. This is Dr. O'Dwyer. She's a learned woman. Yeah. She's practical. She's intelligent. And uh, she's probably, you know, she's she's extracting bullets from people in the frontier. Like she's not easily rattled. Right. Okay. Strong willed. And but yet it doesn't matter how strong willed you are. If you get captured by these terrifying beings that appear to be from almost another planet, that's going to rattle you a little bit. But yet she has kind of held her shit together. Yeah. And so when Kurt Russell and Richard Jenkins encounter her, we're expecting because this is the way our brains are trained to be, that there's going to be some damsel in distress. Oh, thank God you've come here. Oh, you're going to save me. And she calls them idiots. <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> it's so I great. did love that line because they are like, yeah, we set up. Don't worry. We left rocks so that. Arthur knows how to get here. She's like, I'm sorry, you did what? Yeah, you're going to bring him here to this place? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, everyone is worried in the West about the outlaws and the animals. It's the fucking idiots that will kill you or something. It's something (laughs) to that effect. So she's great in this little bit. And um, and she's she's maintained her sanity and her. She's still got her wits about her. Um, You can tell that she's rattled. She's almost sort of like somebody that is mildly in shock, but is just trying to communicate information, Uh you know, on and just try and be as cognizant as possible. Now, this is where we really become a horror movie. (laughs) This is one of the most brutal kills I've ever seen. I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, creative. I'm going to say that this is for moments leading up to death and death. Might be the most harrowing death I've ever seen on screen before. Yeah. For a few reasons. N- number and one. And our heroes show up just in time to see it. Right. Yes. <laughs> so we've got Kurt Russell, Richard Jenkins. They're in this sort of like wood, uh, like a sort of a ramshackle cage, which is enough to keep them in there. And and um, they've got we've got the doctor and the, the deputy who th- either through, you know, a lack of food or probably being beaten more severely um, that that he's in pretty rough shape, but he's still conscious. Yeah. So out come the the natives and they come, you know, from down a, a pathway in the cave and they they take out the deputy. And we as audience members, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we we have the feeling it's not going to end well. Yeah. They start. Now we should say our lead troglodyte is this gargantuan yeah. man with like these like tusks sticking out of his mouth. Yeah. Uh, that have been fashioned. Yeah. It's not like he evolved them or right. something like that. He's, but he's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. He has a very intimidating presence. He's got the most booming, weird. <sighs> right. And we take out the deputy. Now, this is this is this is where the horror creeps in. The horror doesn't necessarily start from slashes or guts or blood. 
It's how sort of mundane we know what's happening. And it, I think the worst part is that we know the deputy knows what's happening. Yeah. Because he starts, it begins a dialogue with Sheriff Hunt where he says, you know, will you take my belongings and send them back to Michigan? Yeah, he's just giving his last will. Yeah. But it's not harried. Like, yeah. Or hurried. Yeah. Hurried? Is harried right? I don't know. Uh, it's not hurried. He's, yeah. he's very calm. Yeah, he sees the writing on the wall. Yeah, and he's probably like, I mean, he's probably convinced himself that it's going to happen anyway. Right. That it's kind of a foregone conclusion. So he's sort of, yes, man- matter-of-factly, like, um, like just saying, you know, please, you know, send my possessions back to Michigan. Most of them belong to my brothers anyway. And this is where we really see some, ah, I start to get choked <laughs> up again. We've seen Sheriff Hunt be really, really strong in this movie and really brave. This is probably his bravest moment because he knows that the only thing he, I mean, don't get me wrong. He tries and he, he rouses chicory and he tries to break through the cage. He cannot. And when he realizes that he can't break out and by the way, what the fuck was he going to do anyway? When he did get through, he would have been killed immediately. So he can't break through the cage. He can't save the deputy. So in in actually something that probably takes even more strength than risking your life to physically fight someone, he decides that he's going to speak to the deputy in his final moments of life and give him some sense of dignity and tell him that he will send his possessions back to his brothers and uh, tells him a lie, but says that, you know, the cavalry's coming and they're going to kill every one of these, you know, godless, uh, you know, savages and blah, 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 just to give him yeah. some sense of of that that's not all for naught. But then we get the the killing itself. <laughs> now, I want to say something real quick about bisections. Uh, <laughs> somebody might say that the violence is gratuitous. If you're going to decide to bisect somebody in a movie bisections by nature are gratuitous, right? Like you can't, you, if you're going to split somebody in half, if you're going to do that, then just do it. Right. So I don't know what's, well, I, I'm going to say the bisection is worse than the scalping, but the scalping doesn't look the like scalping's bad. The yeah. Part. Cause the scalping happens. Oh yeah. So let's just go like, yeah. just, just, you know, if you need to skip ahead two minutes while we yeah, <laughs> go right. through this detail, but it's, <laughs> we can't not. Because, yeah, he's down on his knees. And I love, you know, the troglodytes are just so just like not involved in them talking. They're just like preparing, a me- you know, they're preparing yeah. a meal. But it's this this weird ritualistic thing. They scalp Nick uh, while he's still alive. Stuff his scalp in his mouth. Yes. Then I could knock it in with the bone tomahawk, strip him of his clothes. Now turn him upside down. So you've got one troglodyte on each side holding an ankle. And our big guy has the bone tomahawk and just starts wailing on his junk. Yeah. Gives it like two or three good hits. And then, yeah, those like a fucking wishbone. Just pull that guy in half. And then the guts just spill out. Oh, my God. It's visceral. Uh, It is so good, though. I mean, that's the part I was just screaming, like, like (laughs) up on the couch, my feet. It's like, no! Oh, man, it is awesome. It is awesome. And I tell you, 
for as good as everything that we've talked about in this movie, the writing, the acting and everything else, what a fucking ballsy ass choice. I mean, maybe maybe Craig Zoller could have made this into some sleeper Oscar hit, but you start putting <laughs> bisections into your movie and it's that's over. Right. So he makes the ballsy choice to just go for it. And yeah, you're right. It, it's it's probably the most harrowing. Because it's not cheap. Again, they don't do to like these weird close ups. It's still all from normal angles that we've seen the entire film at. Yeah. So he changes nothing other than just what we're seeing. And um, so, yeah, he the deputy does not survive this attack. He is very clearly dead. And that's where we really start to feel, even as a viewer, a very, very, very real and serious sense of dread for everybody. Yeah. Like helplessness. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no way out of this. Yeah. But, um, Sheriff Hunt does devise a plan, um, where he remembers that there is some of that opium tincture in the, the whiskey yeah, flask that they took, have. He took the opium from yeah. Arthur cause he didn't want him to spill from the saddle. Right. <laughs> yes. And, uh, so there is a plan in place now. Now here we are at, let me just real quick interject my thing about the, the flea circus. Uh, so we're at the point now where Richard Jenkins kind of, kind of in a similar sort of moment to when he was asking hunt about how to read a book in the bathtub. Yeah. We have just one of, one of chicory's musings, Uh you know, and he is, he starts talking about, the flea circus and like, you know, just that it, he, he keeps thinking about it. The Sanderson's flea circus that came to town and how he just could not believe that even when he looked through the magnifying glass, that it really looked like these little fleas were marching in and doing circus tricks and all these sorts of things. And we get this really beautiful mirrored bit of dialogue where in the same way that Sheriff Hunt was telling his deputy that the cavalry was coming just to give him something to die with, to hang on to Dr. O'Dwyer is across the way. And she tells Chicory that actually Sanderson's uses real fleas. And it was like, she knew that, that he was so taken by this flea circus. And I guess what caught me as so emotional is that, what would you think about if you even especially if you were someone like Chicory, maybe a, a relatively simple man? Yeah. But you're in your final moments of life. Naturally, he's thinking about his wife, of yeah. course. But he's you just kind of sit there and think about if you're going to die now like this with no dignity, stripped, scalped, cut in half, you know, nothing nice about it. Like you'd it'd really start to have you reflecting on your life. Like, was there anything good? And was there a purpose to this at all? No one's going to know where I died, how I died, who killed me. My, my existence is just over. Yeah. And it would, it would maybe you have you, it would have you searching for those moments in your life of, of wonder of, of something special happening of you experience something special. So your life meant something. Right. And to him, it was this goddamn flea circus. And it's so, it's just the sweetest thing to me. I that just, his wife, who I respect, was like, no, those are dead fleas. <laughs> right. Yeah. Taped to some mechanical contraption. Right. Yes. <laughs> but it is, it's just another round of Richard Jenkins just crushing the art of acting. And it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, we see Dr. O'Dwyer give a wink over to Kurt Russell and, and, um, you know, it's, it's just a very nice moment. But here we are thinking that the the end is nigh. Yeah. Uh, but 
Sheriff Hunt's plan does come into play. Yeah, they, they a little do. bit. Yeah. Because, yeah, we, they, they put the opium in a flask. They kind of are like, oh, hey, as when they <clears throat> when they see some troglodytes come in, they're like, give me some of that liquor. And they're like fighting over it. So the troglodytes take it. They kind of share it amongst themselves and then throw it in the I love the room that they're in because it's essentially the front room. <laughs> it's like two cells and then this like fire pit in the middle. We never see any more of like the cave network yeah. or anything. So that's still a good like mysterious thing. You don't know where people are. And it's like from. the family room, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um and uh uh what was my point? What was I saying? Well, they, that they've tricked them into thinking like, hey, we don't want to share yeah, oh, this yeah. with and you then, guys. And so then the doctor's like, she's like, okay, the guy with the hat He's going to die. The guy wearing the helmet, he's definitely going to die. He's going to overdose. Uh, the third one, he barely drank any. He'll be fine. And the second one will. We're iffy on that. Yeah, because she knows exactly seeing how much they drank, like how much they ingested and knowing right. what's going to happen to them. Yeah. Um, so that's like, OK, I mean, it's it's the most futile thing they could do, but at least you get uh, one of them. Yeah. You know, uh, which but then sets up. Our final scene. Yeah. Which we should get to because we're going to need five minutes to cry. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. That's right. Um, you know, because you hear the big roar and she's like, oh, I think they found the dead guys. I think they know what we did. Yeah. Now they had thrown that flask. Very important. Just pitch the flask in the fire pit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the big boar tusk guy comes in, pulls Kurt Russell out. And man, it's like no. I was expecting stuff to happen, and then none of it happened how I expected, and everything that happened was so unexpected. It's such a roller coaster at oh, the end of this movie. Because he, you know, pulls Kurt Russell out, just kind of hits him once. and you're So you're waiting for some sort of savagery like they did to Nick. And this is savage, but it also is fucking petty and... Uh, seems more focused because he just very casually like cuts like the side of Kurt Russell open. And I'm like, oh, fuck, that's how Kurt Russell dies. Oh, my God, that's weird. OK, no. Goes, picks up the flask and just shoves it in the wound, which is just like, oh, my God, Kurt Russell's not dead yet. Which let me just interject very quickly. It's a very. It's a very native thing to do um, because not not shoving a flask specifically, okay. but but doing like, OK, so when Custer was was overtaken and killed, the the women of the tribe went up to him and they rammed their sewing needles into his ears, into his brain. Uh -huh. So as, so that in the next life, he would remember his promises more that he would hear oh. his promises. So the mutilation is sometimes there is some intention in the mutilation. OK, so for him to say that is that my people, my guys drank this. It went to their stomach. Oh, and killed them. Gotcha. I'm going to get you back. I'm going right. to put it in your stomach. Pretty smart for an inbred guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's that. He's, uh, he's going to shoot him in the dick. Oh, I know. <laughs> Which he thankfully doesn't. Oh, I know. Um, yeah, you want to talk about tension. Oh, I don't, man, yeah. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Like, yeah. you got a nice, long, shiny rifle pointed at your junk. Oh, oh it's tense. But he, he 
he hasn't reloaded the rifle. <laughs> There's a great Richard, Richard Jenkins line where he's just like, he doesn't know how to reload the rifle. And so, like, you know, Kurt Russell is just laying there, like, uh, incapacitated. And the boar tusk guy is just kind of fucking with the rifle and, like, accidentally loads it. You just hear Richard Jenkins go like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, see, he figured it out. Shit. Yeah. Uh, he ends up shooting Kurt Russell in the stomach. Yeah. That's when, like, Patrick Wilson shows up right at that time. It's a great, great climax. Yeah. I I mean, thankfully, Kurt Russell had some energy left in him. Beheads the Bortus guy oh, with yeah. the bone tomahawk. And is just like, this is as far as I could go. Chicory. You got to take these two out of here. You're, you know, you're in charge now. And now, all right, let's have a little contest. We both okay. have to say this line. Yeah. We have to say it. We can't just say it like a robot. You have to say it with some emotion. Yeah. But you have to try and say it without crying. Okay. Because because Kurt Russell's wife is alive. Yeah. Right? And so Richard Jenkins is like, I, I can get you out of here. And he's like, I'm not. I'm going to stay here. Give me that repeater. I'm going to shoot any troglodytes that come up to hold you off. And the only way he can get Richard Jenkins to leave, I'll say it first. (laughs) He says the line. He says, go say goodbye to my wife. I'll say hello to yours. Yeah. And it's so well done. Dude, I I like went into the kitchen just to show. She's like, "Are you having an allergic reaction to the cats?" I'm like, "Nope." <laughs> I'm crying because of Kurt Russell's last line in yeah. Bone Tomahawk. And it's it's you got to say the line. Okay. Um, <laughs> say goodbye to my wife. I'll say hello to yours. <laughs> You can't. You can't. Oh, it's like the saddest, sweetest line. And what 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 you might have missed if you got up is that Chicory gets that and he turns to leave. But even then, in that moment, he still can't bear to leave Kurt Russell. So he turns back around to face the sheriff and Kurt's eyes are just flooded with tears. And he just gives him this like. Like he just looks at him and he's like, he just shakes yeah, his head. See, I totally missed that. Oh, I you, was oh, crying you, if so you hard. thought you were crying then, <laughs> wait. And it's there's not even a line, but just the look on Kurt Russell's face where he's acknowledging, like, I know, I know what you want to do, and I appreciate, I appreciate you, but don't, I don't want you to see me like this. Yeah. Like I want you to go, you know. And it's it's oh, it's utterly heartbreaking. And what's really neat is we get a very unspoken release as viewers, if you pick up on it on the way out of the cave uh, when they're, when Dwyer, which by the way, I kind of alluded to it. I was hinting at it. The three people that we thought had the worst chance of (laughs) surviving this movie are the ones that actually do. And on the way out, Chicory like stops for a second and he picks up a rock. Probably it's the closest thing to a weapon that he can, that he can find. So he picks up this rock, but as they're, they're walking, he hears, three gunshots 
which they know there are three troglodytes left. Yeah. And Sheriff Hunt was able to get off those those three shots, which was very important to them because they said they know about Bright Hope. Right. So if any of them survive, we're were yeah, you they're know gonna come attack our town. Yeah. So he got all three of them off. And when Chicory hears all three of those shots, then he tosses the rock because he knows that he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. Um and then we're, and we're a at, couple kisses. Yeah. She's like, You've had that thing in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, <nice. laughs> Wipe off your mouth. Right. <laughs> Let me just say real quick, though, and I mean, I don't mean the to bone take- whistle. I think I said that earlier. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. He is Patrick Wilson uses it. I will say a lot of the times that our troglodytes appear, they are like literally around the corner. Yes. Like the our first attack that our posse gets, you know, Richard Jenkins gets hit with an arrow and like the camera pans and there's just one like standing like right. three feet from them. And when Patrick Wilson uses the whistle. Like one just like runs around a bush. Yeah. Like he was just around a bush. Right. Like he had to have known Patrick Wilson was coming. Yeah. You what you what you understand. And I'll, I, I want to mention this not to take it back to any sort of like, you know, we finally got to like the sweet stuff. But just to take it back to a little bit of one of the most horrific images in this movie that we didn't mention are how women of the tribe are treated in the oh. troglodyte cave. So the women that are there have had their arms and legs amputated they've had these bones driven into their eyes they're fully pregnant yeah and basically what you see is that the troglodytes are like a woman is only good for one purpose and right. that is you know reproduction so you they don't know, even you, let them cook yeah you chop off the legs you chop off the arms they can't see and they just they're just baby make literally just baby makers yeah and um and they're left alive and kind of, I mean, we have to assume that they will die and the babies will die as well. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, you, you're right. When What made me think of that is what you were talking about, that when these guys hear the whistle, they come running. But think about this. If you have no spoken language, if you are as ruthless as these people are, what, what is there in life other than an emergency? Oh, that's true. <laughs> like, I mean, if you hear the whistle, that means something's happening because we don't do anything other than like eat and kill. Yeah. And um, so, uh, yeah, that's, you're right. They're like always instantly there, very stealthy, but, um, but yeah, so we do, we do get that nice ending. And the funny thing is, is yes, we all wanted Kurt Russell to live. Sure. And we all even wanted in a strange way, Matthew Fox to live. Yeah. Um, he was too racist. I he, knew he would die. He was yeah. too racist to live, but he we, even is like, at some points, like, my horse would never let him. Like my horse is racist. Would right. never let a Mexican well, and, and on and it. And Russell has that great line. Like, did you teach it bigotry as well? Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, so we'd we'd love to have the whole gang together. But at the end of the day, the movie accomplishes what it set out to do. Because even though we'd love for those guys to be alive, it's that the fact that O'Dwyer is now with his wife, like we just feel good. Yeah. Like that's what we. That's and what they set out to do. Kind of a like. Everything looks very clean. Yeah. She is very clean for having like been a captive for five days. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But it's almost as if they, you know, who knows? Just, yeah. Just like the, our last shot is like Richard Jenkins smiling. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it just sort of ends sweetly like that. And it's you just get done. And the overwhelming impression for me was how can an a movie set in old times being a western 
Everybody looks like, I mean, it looks like it's the old West. How can a movie feel so fresh at the same time? Yeah. But it does. It doesn't really feel like much of anything else. It doesn't feel like a super low budget movie. No, but it does. No, feel... when I saw 1.8 million, I was like, "Geez, yeah." And so it's um, I don't know. It just goes to show what what can be done with the right passion and the right talent behind it. I mean, I I know I said it earlier, but I really, really champion the writing in this movie. It's it's so well written. The characters are so clearly defined, and then you just happen to pair them up with some of the best actors that this world will ever have. Yeah, yeah. Shit. That's Bo Tomahawk. Yeah, it sure as hell is. Damn. All right. We really. I, I w- I'm going to give the strongest recommend I've ever given uh, <laughs> oh, on this yeah. show. I, I, yeah. If, if for, for, I know that there will be parts like we described in detail that will be difficult for some people to sit through. Yeah. And it's not for everybody. But honestly, that's such a smaller part of the film right. that. And you a, see it coming, you'll yeah, know to yeah, yeah, yeah. look away. So, I mean, I, I, if you like film, I don't care if you like westerns or not. I'm not the hugest fan either, but you, you should absolutely see Bone Tomahawk. I saw it. I'm going to spell it right out. I saw it on Amazon Prime. I don't know if it's still there. I'm sure it is. Rent it. It, it's you have you should see this movie. Yeah. But I will say this because we always like to tell people the environment, you know, that that is best. It's certainly not a loud party movie like sound no. in the background. You want to pay attention. Yeah. We like to watch things with the, the subtitles on there. I don't know if it's overly necessary, but I'd recommend it. Um, But uh, yeah, sit, when you're ready, like I just want to watch a good movie. I want to watch a good story, a good movie and get invested. Bam. Watch this one. Yeah. Let it be this. The one. only drawback is you'll have no one to talk to about it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It. Right. And you'll be stuck going, you have to watch Bone Tomahawk. Right. Yes. Yeah. By the way, we should say that when you watch Bone Tomahawk, after you're done, you will be visited by somebody who will immediately erase your memory so that this movie continues to have been seen by no one. Like, (laughs) literally. Like, that's that's one of the drawbacks. I've already forgotten what it was. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's wrap this up. Yep. That was Bo Tomahawk from 2015. Uh, we're going to say 2015 next week. Uh, we're doing, uh, I've never heard of this one. This, Tim recommended this. I saw the trailer. I, uh, I'm excited about it. It's called The Devil's Candy. Australian? Yes. Australian film. Da-da-da. We get to whip out our awesome Australian <laughs> accents again. Wide open desert. <laughs> yes. Wall of blue. Uh, all right. So, uh, yeah, please check out our website, slumberpodcastmassacre.com. Send us an email, slumberpodcast at gmail.com. Have you seen Bo Tomahawk? A uh, huge thank to our patrons. You help make sure the show possible. Please uh, hit us up with a rating and a review and whatever, uh, whatever podcast uh, service you're not boycotting this week. Uh, Tim, do you got anything else to say about Bone Tomahawk? Uh, not Bone Tomahawk, because I feel like we've covered everything, but do see Eddie and the Cruisers if you get a chance, please. Bye!